Dr. Joel Beek tells the story of how he was teaching at a seminary, I think it was in Latvia, if my memory serves me right. And as he came into his hotel room after a day of teaching, as he closed the door to his room, there were three men there that jumped him. And they took his keys and took his things and they tied him up and they threatened him. And for 45 minutes, they had him on the floor tied up and they were yelling threats at him. And I mean, not such a pleasant situation, but what would go through your mind in such a moment? Maybe after fear and terror, if you feared for your life as he did, you'd think, well, what are the things that I haven't said or done? (laughs) What are the things that matter? And by God's grace, after 45 minutes, what they had been doing while they had held him down was they had taken the keys that he had and they had go, went and robbed the places where he'd been and that he had keys to and then they let him go. But in reflecting on it, he said, one of the things that I was thankful for in those moments was I was thankful that I hadn't left unsaid the gospel to my children and to my family. I knew that if this was the end, that they'd heard from me. And that that was the, the, the legacy that I wanted to leave for them, and they knew it very clearly. Whenever it is that you're thinking about either moments of transition in life, or maybe some of you, and I can't claim to be old, but as I get older, there's more that I, I think about, well, what, what are the things that really matter? Joshua was in that point in his life where it was near the end. And he was thinking about, no doubt, the, the conquests and the life in the desert and all the different things that had come to pass in his lifetime and the Lord's deliverance time after time after time. And he said, I've got another shot at him. <laughs> Before my time is up, the people of Israel, I got another shot at them. And in those moments where you you get those last words, and I've sat at those bedsides where families have gathered around to, to say goodbye, and I've noticed that it isn't something innovative or new that people want to say, but it's the same things that, at least when people are at peace there, that they've said a million times. Often it's, I love you. The things, the things that matter do not change just because it is in that moment. And the things you say are the things that you've been saying and hopefully you've been saying over and over and over again. And so even as Joshua says the same thing to the people that no doubt he said over and over again, he also reminds us of the gospel that I hope and pray for many of you, you have heard over and over again. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, 
and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea cover them, come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Girgashites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings and the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and all of the orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God, He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words that the Lord that he spoke to us. 
Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is God's word. We're thankful for it. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we pray that you would use this, your word, to impact our hearts and lives here this morning. God, I pray that my words would be consistent with your word. I pray that our understanding and our hearts would be quickened by your spirit. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two roads diverged in a narrow wood. And I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost, and maybe I don't quote him exactly, but the general idea is kind of just thinking, you know? Which road did I take? Did it matter? Where have I ended up based on the road that I did take? What would have happened if I'd taken the other road? No one knows. But I took this one. It's made all the difference. Joshua, in reflecting back on his life, he chose the road less traveled many years before this day in our text. There was a day when 12 spies went out to the land of Canaan and then they returned and 10 of them said, there's no way we can do it. And Joshua and Caleb, they stood and they took the road less traveled. They said, the Lord is faithful. It is possible. And if it's possible, it's probable. And if it's probable with the Lord's help, it's absolutely sure to happen. He is faithful in keeping his promises. We're going to take the road less traveled. And there was a revolt in the community. And they said, let's take the wide path. Let's take the path that minimizes God's power and maximizes our fear and says God's promises are false. And that challenge has come before God's people, and it continues to come before them one generation after the next. To frame it in the form of the way Pilgrim's Progress puts it, there is the wide path and there is the narrow path. Which one is it going to be? And the world says, it's no question as to which road you should take. Take the wide one. Take the easy way out. Take the one that gets what you want. Take the one that discounts God. And when you take that road, well, the world says it has all of these things for you. You can determine your own reality. My truth. Not God's truth. Not truth. But my truth. That's now the thing. Live according to my truth. I'm living according to my values. Joshua says, hey, we know where that path ends. Because that's the path that you came from. And so even as Joshua charges them, you must serve the Lord. 
And that can be, kind of be our theme for this morning. You must serve the Lord. He says you got to remember your calling. Because you come from a, a generation and from people who knew the wide path. <laughs> and he takes us back in terms of calling. He goes back to Genesis 12. And this fits very well. You know, the backstory for what Joshua is doing is what we're working through in Genesis. And here's the backstory Abraham and his fathers, they worshiped other gods. There wasn't anything great about them, they weren't special until God made them so. And God's calling came to Abraham. And God grabbed a hold of him and said, here we go, Abraham. (laughs) It's almost sort of like whether you want to or not, you're on that wide path, come on over. And I don't know how many of you have been dragged, kicking and screaming. If you've ever been a toddler, you probably have been. So that meets for... I mean, is, is there maybe one, one baby in the house that's younger than toddler? Every one, of el- uh, every one else of us has had those moments where we've been dragged physically kicking and screaming. And there's this sense that Joshua says, spiritually, the Lord has had to drag you guys kicking and screaming. <laughs> like, what's, what's the backstory? Let's walk through it. God dragged you kicking and screaming out. He called you out of idolatry into relationship with Him. And there's this sense of sometimes I I think that we want everything to be easy. And sometimes Christianity does a really lousy job of selling itself. Listen, if you just have Jesus... Your life will have so much more meaning and purpose. It'll go so much better. And the way that's translated is, oh, my life will be easier. Well, sometimes not. Sometimes that leaving the broad path feels impossible. And staying on the narrow path feels equally impossible. And again, I appreciate the pilgrim's progress. He's walking along and there's a rocky path that's the straight and narrow and you just go over the fence and there's the easy path. And sometimes our experience of taking the broad path is that it feels easier. And in a culture that says you should go with your feelings, that makes it all the harder for us to recognize that no, our history was being taken off the path of idolatry with all of its marketing and salesmanship, and put on the path, on the path of loving and serving the Lord, on the path of faith. And you were delivered. And not just once, but over and over again. Abraham was pulled, but then here we we went into Egypt. And in Egypt, you you were made slaves. And you cried out to the Lord, He pulled you out of that. And then you went into the desert and you were rebelling every chance you get. I mean, it wasn't as if you were even thinking about staying on the straight and narrow. It's like you were the people that had binoculars looking out for easier paths other than God's paths. And as soon as you saw one, you ran for it as if, as if there was no God. I mean, imagine the picture. So here's God talking to Moses up on Mount Sinai. 
The picture is set up for us. There's a cloud over the mountain. There's thunder and lightning. Oh, I think maybe God doesn't exist. Let's make an idol. Um, just look in your backyard. He's right there. Do you not see it? Um, bring me your gold, guys. Let's make a calf. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a big feast. Who knows what happened to Moses? Okay, well, maybe you don't know what happened to Moses, but up on the mountain, just look, guys. Come on. (laughs) And over and over again, you played this game. This is your story that you were running and God was grabbing you like that toddler in the grocery store headed for the candy aisle and saying, no way. Not a chance. Not going to let you go there. And so here you are. Now you, now you stand here and you live in houses that you did not build. In cities that you did not build. Eating from vineyards that you did not plant. And what is the temptation that Joshua is working on here? The temptation is to take your calling for granted. The temptation is to say, wow, you know, I'm a Christian. God has given me all of this stuff in Jesus, and I'm forgiven. So now I can live kind of how I want to. And sometimes when when we're given things, we're more likely to take them for granted. I'd give the analogy if, if during the service all of your cars were taken away and they were replaced with brand new Corvettes. Some of you would be like, how am I going to get the kids home? Um, but so you walk out of church and you're just like, wow, this is a pretty cool gift that the elders arranged. <laughs> But let me ask you, if you had been saving $200 a month for 30 years to, to have that hundred grand to get that new Corvette, would you value that one you'd save 200 a month for 10, 20, 30 years more or the one that was just given to you? And the, the, the danger of, of grace is that it's something that you could never earn and you could never get. And it's a, it's a free gift, freely given. And it's not designed for us to dismiss its value simply because it's a free gift. And Joshua says, I don't want any one of you to ever dismiss the value of what God has done for you. And maybe all the pointers he points to are physical things and physical deliverance but underlying all of that and what the israelites would have understood better than we do is this is spiritual inheritance the the land was not simply we got stuff it was the lord has given us this place for what purpose what was the sermon that was preached by moses to pharaoh Why do we leave to worship our God? This is why we're here. This is what our purpose is. To go and worship our God. And this is the land that the Lord has given to us to that end that we might worship Him.
to know your calling. And then Joshua just calls for a commitment. And he begins with sincerity and faithfulness. So he says, listen, we all know about acting. Some of you are really phenomenal actors. Most of us, well, they say the average person lies 1.5 times a day. So that means the average person puts on an act at least 1.5 times a day. Then to have to cover the act, you have to lie more and act more and Pretty soon there's a gap between the person that you act like you are and the person that you really are. And the bigger that that gap gets, the more anxiety you have and the worse things get. And so Joshua is saying, listen, I know about the gap in your life. I know that you've made commitments that you haven't kept in the past. And so you need to not walk up here flippantly. You need to not think that the Lord is just going to overlook the fact that you're not sincere. You need to come with sincerity and with faithfulness to make a vow. I mean, don't don't stand here and think that the Lord doesn't see your heart. Don't think that you can enter in and you can be cool and everyone thinks you're fine. And maybe everyone will, but the Lord knows. With sincerity and faithfulness. And then he, he just lays it on them. you got to decide. It's kind of an existentialist approach, right? <laughs> right here, right now, in this moment, you got to decide. Not later, now. What are you going to do? And then he says, but let me tell you, I'm not going to wait around for you to make your choices to know what I'm going to do. I'm not participating in groupthink. I'm not participating in cultural discussions. We don't need a safe place for you to air your doubts here. Like, I'm telling you what I'm doing. You're responsible before God for what you do, but here's what I'm going to do. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so you can come to my house today. You can come to my house in 10 years, in 20, in 30. Joshua is saying, you can come to my children's house, to my grandchildren's house. Here's the commitment that my family is making in the here and now. And we're going to keep that commitment regardless of what you do. And I appreciate for the people in history that have done this same thing. People that have stood up in the midst of churches that have lost their way and have said, I have not lost mine. And it may be that churches and denominations and places lose their way, but that is no excuse for us to ever lose ours. And Joshua says, regardless of who you see losing their way, And regardless of the ways that institutions and churches and other things go, it's still you that needs to make that commitment. And you need to take that stand and say, as for me and my house, 
This means if you're a, a, a parent, regardless of the age of your, your children, if you have grandchildren, it means you say, the buck stops with me. <laughs> I'm going to serve the Lord. I will do everything I can to, to pray. If my children are not serving the Lord, I will relentlessly pray that they will know Him. It, it means that in the realms of influence that we have within the church, that we're going to say, as for me and my church... We will serve the Lord. I'm going to take the opportunity to disciple others that need to be discipled. But his saying, I've already made up my mind, does not diminish his charge to say to the people, you need to make up your mind too. And there is always this tension in the Bible, and I think it's a good tension, that individual responsibility is always a part of corporate responsibility. You are responsible individually to God, but also as a church body, as the body of Christ throughout our world, you are responsible as well. And when you, this is why when you see somebody drifting that is part of the body of Christ, you go to them and you grab a hold of them and you say, on the behalf of a God who grabs a hold of people that are drifting, how can I help pull you in and pull you back? How can I help you maintain your faith in the Lord? And I appreciate what Joshua does next is simply something that I never learned in seminary. And those of you that have been to seminary that are here, maybe you had a different experience. But after they say, yes, we want to be a part of the church. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm just imagining, you know, Pastor John and I and the elders having a church membership interview. And somebody's just, yes, I want to be a part of Grace Covenant. And we just go, oh man, another one. Like, you can't do this. Like, you know how badly this is going to end. Like, if, if, you're not making, if you're not making these commitments sincerely, like, do you know how badly this is going to end? Like, the elders are going to come knocking at your door and... We're going to have to exercise church discipline. We're going to call, there are going to be witnesses to the commitments that you've made that are going to be sitting there and standing there. And this is just going to go really badly for you. Maybe you don't want to do this. Like, maybe you shouldn't join the church. Like, I, di- I didn't take that class in seminary. Usually it was like, you want to join the church? Awesome! But, but there's this sense that Joshua is, again, working on that. Your commitment has to, has to be sincere. It has to have holding power. It has to, you have to be willing for there to be accountability. And I think this is one of those things that, for our modern-day ears, we just don't want to hear that. Accountability is, it goes against my truth. Because I'm living my truth. And accountability says, I'm sorry, but your truth it could actually be wrong. And in fact, many times your truth is going to hit it wrong most of the time. (laughs) And so Joshua says, you can't do this. And I want us to hear that. And I want us to hear our, our need for God's grace and mercy. And to even go back and loop that to what the point Joshua was making 
was it you that kept your commitments that got you here? Or was it the Lord chasing you down? People say, we want to serve the Lord. And whenever we hear that, we should say, amen. May the Lord grant his power that we may do exactly that. That those who make commitments to serve the Lord, that they may do exactly that. And then Joshua comes and there's this overlay of this text of God's covenant. I want to just spend a, a few moments there. And again, what does Joshua do in his exhortation? It comes toward the, the end of what we read, verses 20 and, and following. He says, listen, you need to commit. The Lord we will serve. Him we will obey. obey. But verse 23 is kind of shocking. Well, then go put away your idols. Lurking underneath their commitments. And this is why Joshua is pounding him. He's like, I know you're sitting. I know it. And let's just be honest. I know each of you are sinning. I don't have cameras up in your rooms and in your houses. Don't worry. I'm not following you around. I'm not. Nothing creepy. I know there are things that you're dealing with in your heart and your life. And work on them. Joshua is saying, you just made this commitment. Now go back and start working. (laughs) Start working to get rid of those idols. Not simply the statues in your house, but the things in your hearts. And whenever God does covenant renewal, and in some sense the Lord's Supper has behind that, that idea of covenant renewal. Whenever he does that, there's always that sense. Take stock of this, what you, idols you've got stored in your closet. And if you have to push the door really hard to get them all to fit in there, because you've stuffed your closet so full of idols, you really need to do a house cleaning. So go clean your house! And then he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a rock here. He says, you're witnesses, but this rock is going to be a witness. Now, that's kind of a strange idea. This, this rock is going to be there to, to, to let you know that you made a decision. And if... If you disobey in front of this rock, it's going to see. Is he talking about a rock? He's setting up a rock as a reminder that, hey, it was a witness to the commitment you made. But he's talking about the Lord. The Lord sees. And so when you walk by with your children in future years, and you walk by the terebinth tree at Shechem, and you see a rock that's sitting there, that rock is a witness. And witnesses always either do one of two things. One thing that witnesses do is they stand up if you didn't keep your word. And so what's going to happen when you walk by the tree and you see the rock in future years, if you have not followed the Lord, that will be to your shame. And you will want to look the other direction and be like, I don't even see that. I don't want to know that. I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) I know I made that commitment. I know my grandpa made that commitment. I know my great-grandma made that commitment. But 
I don't want to deal with it. That's, I feel ashamed. And we live in a culture that doesn't like shame, but there are reasons to be ashamed. And Joshua is unapologetic about that. You will be ashamed if you do not keep your commitment. And this will be a reminder to, to your failure and for your shame. But there, there's a, a different thing that the church does with shame instead of what the culture does with shame. Our culture wants to use shame to cancel people and to say that they don't matter. And when you're ashamed, you're, you're no good. You do something shameful and your name is to be blotted out from Twitter. <laughs> but what is, what is the purpose of that rock? Not that you would be ashamed and say, I have failed and keep on walking. But that you would say, I am so ashamed that I have not kept the commitments that I have made. But now as I remember that the Lord sees, and I remember when I made that commitment, I am called back to that moment. And that those words ring through my head again. Who will you serve? Choose this day who you will serve. And if I continue to walk by and do not stop and repent, it will be to my shame and my eternal detriment But if when I am ashamed that I have failed and that call comes again and that reminder comes again, choose this day whom you will serve. I'll remember God's faithfulness and I will turn again to Him. There are two things to do with every sin and failing. One is to ignore it and to let it snowball. And the other is to say, I am reminded that I have failed my God and that He is faithful to forgive and I can go to Him and after I can go and I can empty my closet yet again of all of the idols that are in it. And again, Joshua, in that, in that moment, is also reminding the people of God's faithfulness. No matter what happens, the Lord still sees. And the Lord still knows. No matter how far you run, the Lord still keeps pulling you back. We have a few thousand years of history. And certainly the story of God's people from that moment on. There have been many moments where that rock was a witness and is a witness to failure and sin, to the shame of many. But there are many that on seeing the rock, maybe in different ways or different places, as that points to the cross, have said, I will not walk away into the darkness. But I will stand with God's people. And it isn't so much that the legacy is ours. I think maybe Christian contemporary music is a bit confused. Nicole Nordeman in my generation had the song, I want to leave a legacy. And now on your radio, Casting Crowns has the song, I don't want to leave a legacy. But maybe... Maybe I can disagree a little bit with casting crowns. 
Because everything that's older is always better anyway. (laughs) Because Joshua was concerned about his legacy. He made choices to disciple his family. And I'm sure offered many prayers that they would be faithful from one generation to the next. But he understood that the legacy wasn't that he would see. But it was that the Lord sees. It wasn't that his family would be faithful. It would be that the Lord would be faithful to them. And so today the Lord calls to you. By his grace and mercy. He calls to you at this table. And he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the false gods? Will you take that wide path that so many have run toward? Or will you serve the Lord? And he calls you and us together to make the commitment today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the challenge that you give us, that you call us to. That in the midst of a world that, that loves to run after some great thing or new thing or some way to avoid pain and suffering, some wide road, Your Son came and walked the narrow road for us. And He never strayed from that narrow road and through His righteousness we are given that inheritance. We are given that salvation. And we thank You for the reminder of the supper here this morning that that calls us that calls us to not take deliverance lightly, that reminds us that while the gift is priceless and it is free, help us to never forget the price that was paid. Bless us as we come. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is our privilege that we are given in Christ to come to the Lord's table here this morning. As we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded that this is something that we do to remind ourselves that the Lord sees and the Lord knows and that He is coming again. (laughs) 